What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe O'Rico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new content, whether it be podcasts, articles, news and notes, any updates of the site, or anything baseball-related at all. You guys will find that over at EthosFantasyBB. If you're not somebody who uses social media, please do go ahead, write to SportsEthos.com, and check all of that content out right from the source. Today, we are going to conclude first base. It won't be the last time we talk about first baseman this offseason. We will do a preview closer to the start of the season. We're going to go through team by team. I have decided that, yes, I will go through the task of doing a team by team preview for every team this year. It'll take up some time in the offseason. It's good for our processes. It's good for individual fans of those teams to come listen. So we are going to do that. So if I've missed out on your particular first baseman, do not fear. We probably haven't because we're going to go 25 deep in total, which is pretty standard for the infield positions for me. So we've probably hit on your guy, but if we did happen to miss out, we are not going to um, forget about that person for the entire offseason. We will, of course, circle back, and we'll talk about everybody at one point or another, even if it's bench guys on certain teams, platoon players. Specifically, when we do our team previews, we will really get into depth on everybody, so fear not if we have skipped over perhaps your favorite player. But we probably haven't. Uh, but either way, let's get it started off. Like I said, there are five guys that did finish outside of the top 20 at first base that I still think are worth talking about. Still people that potentially will have value in 2024. And we'll get it going with Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn was somebody that a lot of people were very, very interested in coming into the season. I was pretty interested. I wasn't like over the moon excited or anything like that. But there were a lot of people who were very much in on Andrew Vaughn. Finally, now, with no Jose Abreu, he got to play his regular position. Because you got to remember, with Andrew Vaughn, they have not really treated him well, which I know is a huge shocker from such a first-class organization in the White Sox. But he has not ever really played the position that he was drafted to play, at least not for the first couple of seasons. They stuck him in the outfield. He'd play first base here and there. But his rookie year in 2021, they even had him at second. They had him at third. They had him in left, right, everywhere. Uh, the same thing in 2022. Left field, right field were his you know, predominant positions, I would say. Only 23 times he played first base, two times at second last year. DHing, pinch hitting, all kinds of different stuff. Now this year he played 143 games at first base. They let him have his regular natural position, and a lot of people thought in turn that would mean Andrew Vaughn is now not going to be having so many different things to focus on, learning new positions, left, right, and center. He'll have a breakout season as a hitter. Well, he did have his career high in home runs, runs, RBI. So you could argue from that perspective that he kind of did, but it also wasn't to the same extent that I think a lot of people were expecting from Andrew Vaughn. 134 games last season, he gave you 17 homers, 76 RBI. We added 18 games, and we've only boosted the RBI total by four. We also had four more home runs, which is nice, but I think people were generally expecting a lot more from him, specifically with a batting average. Andrew Vaughn was only a 258 hitter. I think a lot of people were generally projecting Andrew Vaughn to be closer to 300. Not necessarily going to be like a 300-plus guy, but a lot of people were talking about him as like a 280, 290 kind of range. 258 is still very good, but the expectations, I think, are going to be kind of regressed a little bit for Andrew Vaughn, and they should be. He hasn't been the same player that we were probably hoping for. Not to say that he's been bad. He's been fine, but where you paid costs for him last year was about, uh, I think about 140 overall was his ADP. It was too high, and he didn't return that number. Now, if you're looking at total value for the season, he was 232nd if you are looking at Yahoo. Not terrible, again, but not something that you're really hoping for from that kind of draft price. 
Now, the price is reduced this season. You're getting him at pick 213. 101 is the minimum pick, which is egregiously high. And then 265 is the maximum pick. Most of the time, if you are looking at the scatter plot, and I recommend you do that if you go to the NFBC, if you just look up NFBC ADP, you can click on the first, probably the first link that'll show up there. It's the NFC site, which their domain uh, is nfc.shgn.com. And you will see, if you click on these players, where they have gone in specific drafts. So Andrew Vaughn, that minimum pick is pretty much the only one in that vicinity. The next closest is about 130. And then you have several that are in the 150 range and then a lot that are below 200. So you're not really having to pay up for Andrew Vaughn. But I don't know that that necessarily makes me that much more interested in him. You're getting a first baseman kind of late that you'd feel pretty confident about playing regular time. He's going to play 140, 150 games. But the team is going to be terrible. Like I think the team context, and I'm not somebody who will strictly go based off team context. It does add a layer to the equation. You still you still see players like Bobby Wood Jr. play for a terrible team, give you great offensive numbers. But for the most part, you see a guy playing for these bad teams. It is going to limit their upside. And when you're in a lineup that is featuring a lot of players that are absolute trash, there's not much you can do about it, right? The top five in the order is okay. Benintendi leading off. I know there's mixed feelings on Benintendi. He's fine. Vaughn projected a bad second. Lou Bob third, no problem there. Nice protection behind him. And then you got Yohan Moncada projected a bad fourth, which is just garbage. Eloy projected a bad fifth. I don't really ever know what I'm going to get out of Eloy, if it's going to be good, if it's going to be bad, somewhere in the middle. Not a lot of confidence, not a lot of faith you can have in him. And then after that, you got Oscar Colas, you got Paul DeYoung, you got Nicky Lopez, and Corey Lee. It's it's a trash bottom of the order. That's not going to be turning over that many runs at all. And Vaughn batting second, where it'll be a lot of the time where he is batting after those guys have come up. There won't be that many guys on base for him to be driving in. So altogether, I don't think it's a great situation for Andrew Vaughn. I do like that the price is a lot lower than usual. But I also don't think that he is some stud player. I think the best-case scenario is probably about the same thing. Again, 20-ish homers. Maybe you see 70 runs, 80 RBI, and maybe he gets the average up to 270. But he's nothing really that special. I think the batting average, or excuse me, the projections in general are overshooting a little bit here. They're expecting him to jump up to 26 homers. They're calling for one steal. He had zero last year. That's not a big jump. They're calling for a 15 increase in runs despite playing five fewer games. They think the batting average will tick up about five points. They think the walk rate will go back up. They think the strikeout rate will come down. They overall think that it's going to be a very good 2024 from Andrew Vaughn. That's one of the projections I'm going to have to disagree with at this point. Most of the time, I am at this point defaulting to the projections, but there's nothing really there to believe that makes me think, oh, yeah, Andrew Vaughn, he's going to definitely build on what he did last year. He's a young guy. He's still 25 years old. Uh, he's going to be 26 at the beginning of next year. So there's still a chance that he finds another gear. But in that lineup, surrounded by literal trash most of the time, sorry for any White Sox fans listening, but you know it's true. I don't know that there's really going to be that much that he can give you outside of what we've already seen. 70 and 80 for runs in RBI, that might be kind of what you're capping it at. So I'm not pushing him up draft boards. I'm not avoiding him either, but I think you could probably do better and shoot for some higher upside at that range of the draft. Let's move on and let's talk about Tristan Cassis. Tristan Cassis is going to be one of the interesting players this offseason for sure. I sent out a poll last night because I was kind of curious. We were talking about first base anyway, and I was going through my my own process of just kind of evaluating players, and I put out a poll that said pick one first baseman for your 2024 fantasy baseball team. We talked about three of these guys yesterday. Spencer Steer, Spencer Torkelson, Josh Naylor, and Tristan Cassis. Tristan Cassis ran away with the poll, and I think there was a part of that that was aided by our good friend Eric Cross. He chimed in in the comments, and he said he's definitely taking Cassis and then a gap and then the rest of them. 
Eric is also a diehard Red Sox fan, not to take away anything from his analysis, but he is also a little bit biased. And I'll say that right to Eric. We are good friends. He has a little bit of bias coming in here. I don't know that Cassis is necessarily that far ahead of everybody else. He's being drafted in the same range as Spencer Steer, about a round ahead of Torkelson, about two rounds ahead of Josh Naylor. I don't know that he's really that much better, at least in terms of like what you're going to project out of him, than any of these guys. Spencer Steer came in last, even though he is in the best ballpark. He has the best positional eligibility, and he is coming off of the best season in 2023. So we're pushing him down to bottom of this list because why exactly? I don't know. But let's get back to Tristan Cassis. Let's talk about what he did this season. It was a really, really rough start, and I think a lot of people – probably missed out on the good parts that came later because they said enough is enough. This is absolutely terrible. The month of April, he batted 133 with three home runs. The month of May, three home runs, he batted 257. At that point, he's probably not on your teams anymore. I mean, maybe in your 15-teamers, especially in your mono leagues, if you're in an AL only, he probably was not cut because there's just not really that many options. But if you had a choice, 8s, 10s, 12s, 14s, even 15-team leagues, if it's mixed, there's a decent chance you missed out on the good production that came starting around June from Tristan Cassis. So in June, he hit three home runs, batted 286. And then in July, he really took off. Seven home runs, and he batted 348. And then in August, he batted 294 with five additional homers. If you're looking at the season as a whole, it was really good from Cassis here. Um, I just clicked on the wrong thing on, on fan graphs here as I'm switching around. Uh, it was 24 homers, 65 RBI, a 263 batting average. The 14% walk rate was very impressive. A lot of the times, guys will have these impressive walk rates in the minor leagues, upwards of 10, 15, close to 20% even, and then they'll come into the big leagues and it's 7%. It's 8%. Maybe it's 10. But to get to 14, that's pretty damn impressive from Cassis. 24 homers, also very impressive, especially considering most of them did come in the second half of the season there. So a lot of people are salivating, thinking about a full season. He played 132 last year. Let's get him to 150. Then you're probably talking about 30-plus homers. You're talking 80 and 80 for runs in RBI. And we have a guy who we know is a potential 300 hitter. There's not a lot that I don't like here. Uh, I think the profile is pretty strong overall, especially in on-base percentage leagues. You are going to be pushing Tristan Cassis up stupidly high. Uh, if it's an OBP league, he's going to be going very high. I don't make rankings for on-base percentage leagues. It's just for, for batting average. I don't know where I'm going to be putting him in just yet. It's, it's tough to say on an overall perspective, but he is pretty damn expensive right now. Like I talked about yesterday, 105 is his ADP. 48 was the minimum pick. That's the beginning of the fourth round. That's really pricey. Now, 151 is the minimum. You're talking the first pick of round 11 in a 15-team league. Then that's fine. That's more than fine, but you're not going to be getting him there. His price, his price is going to be expensive. People are going to be talking about him. He is going to be a topic of a lot of off-season articles about – you know, he's in Fenway, he's a young guy. What we saw in the second half was really impressive. People are going to be pushing him up, and he'll probably end up with a top 100 ADP. Just looking at the second half of the season, 15 homers, 317 batting average. It's going to get ugly, what you're going to have to be paying for Tristan Casas. So my advice with him, especially if you are someone who plays in multiple different leagues, if you're playing in five or ten different leagues, take a couple shares now while the price is a little more reasonable. I still think it's a little expensive, but... I do think that it does make sense to have shares of, of a lot of different players in the pool, specifically if the price is right. And right now, I think the price is reasonable. Not that I think it's amazing smash hit here every single time, every single draft, blah, blah, blah. But I do think it is worthy of taking him in a couple of leagues. The Red Sox were still good offensively, even though they had a bad year. They still play in a really good offensive, friendly park. 
I, I think there's a good chance we see Cassis go for 30 homers, 280 kind of batting average, and he becomes a really good fantasy asset. Now, if you're drafting in March, I think the price will probably be another 20 picks higher or so, and that's where you kind of lose out on your value, right? If the higher up you're taking these young guys who are still relatively unproven, the more variable there is, there's more of a chance of a guy not even just getting hurt, but not, not even getting hurt at all in the equation, really, but just not panning out, pushing these guys up because of the hype machine, like we see with Royce Lewis, like we see with Nolan Jones, Tariq Skubal. Uh, taking a lot of those guys can't hurt you, so I wouldn't take Cassis on every single team. i take him on a couple. If you're a single-shot guy playing in one league in March, I don't know. Well, first of all, you're probably not listening to this, this podcast right now if you're just a one-league type of guy, but if you are... I don't know that I would recommend taking Cassis as your starting first baseman there, assuming you're paying, let's call it pick 95. I don't know that I'd really want to do that, considering there will be a lot of first base options down the board. They're not all going to be as high up, uh, high upside as Tristan Cassis. But if you just get beyond him, right, we'll talk about you know getting beyond Tristan Cassis. Because right now, he is the 105th player off the board, but he's the 10th first baseman, number 10 by ADP. You can get Yandy Diaz 35 picks later, Alec Bohm 60 picks later, um, Vinny Pasquantino 70 picks later, Isak Paredes 80 picks later, Reese Hoskins more than 100 picks later. So there are a lot of options for you. It's not like you're at a point here at pick 100 where you have to take Tristan Cassis. I think there's a good, you know, there's a good chance that he exceeds what he did last year, but there's also a good chance that that's kind of as good as we're gonna see. 25-ish homers, 14% walk rate. Maybe the volume will get a little bit better because you know he'll probably play over the course of a whole season, and maybe he's able to replicate those second half stats over the course of a full year. But I'm not going to bank on this guy batting 320 and hitting 35 homers. I don't think that that's going to happen. It could, but I'm not going to be planning on it in my leagues. Let's talk about Ryan Noda. He's not somebody who the average fantasy player probably really cares that much about. But Ryan Noda actually had a really strong season this year for the Oakland A's, and that's probably where a lot of it comes from. A lot of people think of who the hell is Ryan Noda. He plays for the Oakland A's, so there's not really that much reason to be that interested. But he was somebody that coming into this year, there was a lot of reason to be interested in. In 2022 in AAA with the Dodgers system, 25 homers, 20 stolen bases, and he batted 260 with a great walk rate. If you were able to take a late shot on him in a draft champions, you were very, very happy. You were not paying a lot for him, and he ended up still getting 16 homers, 63 runs, 54 ribbies, three stolen bases. The batting average is not great at 229, but you got a 364 on base, 15.6% walk rate if that is your fancy to play in on base percentage leagues. He did very, very well for you. Also a guy who wasn't expensive last year. He's not going to be expensive this year, and don't get me wrong. I, I don't think that Ryan Noda is somebody that should be pushed up a lot of draft boards, but he's going to pick 521. Minimum of 321, maximum of 515. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I think the ADP is way down because there are certain leagues where he's not drafted. So if you're not drafted, then you're, I think the ADP just sets to that draft for like 750 or something like that. So it'll be weighed down by the leagues you're not drafted in. When he's being picked between 321 and 515, there's not a lot that he can do to really hurt you from that spot. He might not pan out fully and you may have to drop him. But we're talking about a guy who was 123 WRC plus this season. That's actually really, really super impressive for anybody. But considering he's a guy who was not on anybody's radar at all, no one came into the year really thinking that they were going to have that much interest in Ryan Noda. He put up a WRC plus that was in line with Gunnar Henderson, Jose Ramirez, Paul Goldschmidt, Christian Yelich, Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, Christian Walker, Kyle Schwarber. It was a very, very, very good offensive season. 
maybe it's because the walk rate is so high that that number ends up being a little bit more skewed, but it doesn't even really matter at that point. I mean, he's given you the offensive production of getting on base, 15% walk rate, 36% of the time he's on base, 16 homers. I'm not saying that Ryan Noda is going to be some savior that comes down to your team, hits 25 homers, he's a free player that's going to just smash. But especially in those deeper leagues, he'll be somebody that's not given a lot of interest when he came off of a pretty damn good season in 128 games. And I think that there's an opportunity for him to play a full season and return even better fantasy value. The projections for him... See him going to 19 homers, getting up to six stolen bases. At that point, there's decent value there. I don't think it's going to be a game changer. But after pick 500, if you're getting 19 homers and six stolen bases, you're going to be in business. So definitely somebody just to keep in mind if you're drafting who you can get a little bit later on, not going to cost you a lot, and he might end up smashing. So just somebody uh, to keep in mind there, Ryan Noda for the Oakland A's. But let's talk about somebody who has been a fantasy asset quite a lot over the last several years. This year, very unfortunate turn of events. Did not get to play much at all. And that's Anthony Rizzo. I shouldn't say he didn't get to play much at all, but the second half of the season was completely derailed because he was playing with a concussion that was not diagnosed properly, which is just unbelievable in this day and age that someone can have a concussion that did not get diagnosed properly, but there you have it. Anthony Rizzo, if you remember the way he started this season, it was absolutely ridiculous. In April, he batted 282 with five home runs, and then in May, six homers and a 327 batting average. I forget the exact date that this injury happened. It was sometime in early June, I believe, when the initial incident happened. The month of June, he batted 173. month of July, it was 167. And then only played one game in August, so you can't really look at that. But to go from 327 to 173 to 167, there was clearly something that was wrong there with Anthony Rizzo. And by God, he had a concussion the whole time. So I don't know what to make of it for next season because I don't know exactly if Anthony Rizzo is fully healthy or not. And even if someone tells you that he is, it's grain of salt territory with concussions because you don't know, nobody knows. Even if a doctor who is treating a patient says, yes, it looks it looks pretty clear, you never really know with a concussion. You can have recurring symptoms years and years later on there. The, tri- the brain is the trickiest organ to diagnose because there's a lot of unknowns with it. So Anthony Rizzo is very, very interesting to me, very polarizing. His ADP is 327 quote-unquote, free if you're talking 12-teamers. He's not even within the ADP of 12-teamers. I think at that point, you you probably should take a chance on him, right? If he is healthy, and, I mean, by all the accounts I've seen, he'll go into next year, should be ready to go for spring training. If he's <clears throat> excuse me, If he's able to be healthy for the whole season, then you're getting a great fantasy asset. I'm not saying that, again, he's not some massive game-changer, but Anthony Rizzo is generally a 25-30 to 30 home run guy, 70, 80 runs, 70, 80 RBI. Batting average has fluctuated over the years. You're probably looking at a 240, 250 type of hitter. But there's value in that. You know, especially for you NFBC players. You're drafting now. You're picking shots later on. Anthony Rizzo has gone as late in drafts as 387. So there are opportunities here to get a guy who is going to probably be a regular full-time everyday player. I don't think there's any real question of that. Assuming he's healthy. Anthony Rizzo was getting trotted out there at first base every single day in a very hitter-friendly environment for left-handed hitters. Again, it all comes back to the health. If Anthony Rizzo is 100% good to go, then I'll be interested. We also just won't ever really know, though, with a concussion. It might be three months into next year, and he starts getting recurring symptoms. It can absolutely happen. That's just the nature of a brain injury. But I think he's somebody that we should be kind of interested in in draft champion formats. You're getting to that point of the draft where you're just shooting for kind of upside, right? And upside is always associated with a younger player. 
But upside could also be a young guy, or not not young guy, young, <laughs> 34 years old. It could also be an older player that is kind of just forgotten about. I don't, I haven't heard anybody, anybody in fantasy, and granted, it's November, and I'm also crazy for doing podcasts every day in November, but I haven't heard anybody talk about Anthony Rizzo at all as being any kind of value, as being anything, not, not good or bad, just no talk at all, radio silence. So there is an opportunity there to take advantage of the market to some degree. <clears throat> the reports we have are that it'll be healthy to start next season. You're taking them closer to the maximum or even somewhere in the middle there around the ADP. Around pick 300, you're not really getting hurt that much. You're, you're just not, and the opportunity there for him to pop is pretty damn good. The upside that's associated with the younger guys could also be an, an older guy that's just kind of forgotten about, and I think that could be Anthony Rizzo. So just something to keep in mind for right now. <clears throat> but let's talk about one more first baseman before I let you guys go today. That's Christian Encarnacion Strand. We've talked a lot about the Reds. If there's one thing that I'm fairly certain of, it's that Strand is going to get everyday playing time. I don't know where it'll be because they'll move him around a little bit. 35 times at first, he DH'd 24 times. He played third nine times. He was also in right once. They'll get him into the lineup, similarly to Spencer Steer. I don't know where it'll come every single day. I don't know where exactly it'll be in the lineup, but he will get his opportunities. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Uh, we saw Christian Encarnacion strand in 63 games, have 13 home runs, 37 RBI, and a 270 batting average. He did exactly what we were hoping for once he was called up. I don't think that you can really say that this was disappointing. This was incredible. This is exactly what we were hoping for. This is exactly what we thought we were getting when Christian Encarnacion Strand was the guy that we were stashing this year for a lot of the season. There was a good couple months where he was the number one priority stash, and it did move around a lot this year because there were so many young guys getting called up and having value and then getting sent down, and there was a lot of different moving parts with stashes, but Encarnacion Strand was one of the better ones you could have made this year, one of the better fab investments down the stretch you could have made. Now, the projections for him are really, really lofty. 28 homers, 89 RBI, and a 271 batting average. I love it. I love that projection. I don't know if it's too lofty or not because we've only ever seen him play 63 major league games, but I don't think it's unrealistic <clears throat> in that lineup, in that ballpark. I don't think that the sky is the limit. I think that they could exceed that, and you're talking about all these guys. You're talking Ellie. You're talking literally Steer, the whole team could really just feed off of the emergence of one another. And we could see something really special happen in Cincinnati in that ballpark. That ballpark is conducive to stupid offense. And we will see that from Strand, from Cruz, from Marte, from I think probably everybody to some degree. So some people will look at this and say, how can you project this rookie for 74 runs for 89 RBI? It seems like it's a lot. It, it does seem like it's a lot. But it is justified. So I think Christian Encarnacion Strand is going to be one of the guys that I have a lot of shares of. Now, let's get to the draft price because that really is what it all comes down to. And it's 129 It's not that bad. It's, it's not cheap. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely not cheap. It's cheaper than Steer by about two rounds or so. Minimum pick of 74 for Strand, which I do think is a little high. And then maximum of 225 there's still a lot of range here with a lot of these players. So sometimes I'll say, you're getting this guy, I pick 170, and he might go off the board at 140. He might still be there at 250. There's a lot of variance with the early drafts right now, especially depending on your format. But I don't think it really matters what your format is for Strand to be a pretty good value. 129, at that point, right, we've talked about this. After pick 100 is where you kind of take your chances. If you're talking about round 8, round 9 or so, you can take a chance, especially when we have a good foundation of talent, of ballpark, of team, all of it seems to be pretty, pretty advantageous for Christian Encarnacion Strand. So I'm going to be taking him 
probably not in every draft because I don't really do that, especially in the first couple hundred picks. If I have one player on every single team and that player gets hurt, then it's a lot harder to, to build back from, even if it is a late draft pick. Um, you know, if it's a guy who's going pick 325 or 350 or something like that, then you don't really care. 129 is a little too early for me to have him on every single team, but I'll definitely have a lot of shares of CES. I think that he is going to be batting in the middle of that lineup, and I think the sky is the limit in all honesty. But let me know what you guys think. Over on Twitter, of course, as always, at JoelRico99, at EthosFantasyBB is where you get all the work from our staff, whether it's podcasts of mine, writing of mine, or anybody else's. Uh, polls, any any information that anybody sends out from our staff or articles we write, we do share it out here at sportsethos.com. And that, of course, does get shared out to Twitter at ethosfantasybb. So let me know what you think. Not sure 100% what tomorrow's going to look like, I'll be honest with you guys. That's the nature of doing a daily show. Sometimes you are handcuffed by the news of the day. Sometimes I, I honestly don't know for sure. Because next week we are going to start getting into outfield, but I don't want to do that on a Friday. I might just do some kind of fun show. Maybe I'll do a mailbag, open it up to you guys, see if you have any questions about early drafts or about anything, really. Uh, but next week, I think probably Monday through Friday, we'll do five outfielder shows. I'm sorry if that's not what people want, but there are a lot of outfielders to get through. I'll probably do 15 a day, and then we can get through about 75 outfielders because that's probably about how many are worthy of being talked about, between 50 and 75 uh, maybe it won't be the whole week, but it'll be at least four days of talking about outfielders. So tomorrow, we'll try to do something more fun. Unless, of course, the the, the usual caveat here, if Otani signs, we do an Otani show. If Yamamoto signs, we do a Yamamoto show. Other than that, we'll figure out something, but I'll leave you guys there. Until then, though, until tomorrow, take care, everybody. Have a great night, and cheers. Cheers.